Uh, my name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to welcome all of you here. Special word of welcome to any of you who might be visiting with us this morning. If you're here for the first time or just kind of checking things out, we hope and pray that you do experience a warm welcome during our time of worship together. And then afterwards, again, stick around for some coffee and cookies and so on. So we're going to continue this morning. We're taking this summer, we've been taking a look at the book of Ephesians. And we've been studying this book. And what we've been calling the series is Finding Our Place. And, and what we said is that the Ephesians were in a situation, Paul is writing to them, they're in a situation where the world is changing significantly around them, and, and, and the, the Roman Empire is kind of really strong in influence and culture and in their world, and, and, and Paul wants to come to them and say, hey, look, as this is happening, remember who you are. And he talks about remembering who you are in Christ, that you've been saved, that you're safe in Christ, that you're made new in Christ, that, you, that you're now together, connected in Christ. And, and the first three chapters that we've already looked at, the, the first three chapters have all been about Paul saying to them, hey, remember who you are. Remember who you are, that you were saved by grace. The songs we sang, you know, amazing grace and my chains are gone. And everything Paul's going to say from chapter 4 on about how we live, about becoming who we are, everything Paul's going to say in there is really rooted in the fact that we've been set free. So I think it's so good that the songs that Kevin had us sing this morning to remind us that, again, my chains are gone. My, the, God's amazing grace. We've been made to. God is great. And, and, and as we understand that and as we live that out and as we become that, then we're set free. And, and we're set free to love and we're set free to serve and we're set free to become the people God wants us to become. So uh, we just started last week with, with chapter 4, this new section where Paul is now saying, become who you are. Live it out. You've you, you got to be a Christian first, but now live it out and let Christ live in you. And we said that the first thing Paul says that that means, and this is what we looked at last week, is Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Do everything, absolutely everything you can possibly do to get along with each other, to recognize there are going to be disagreements, there are going to be challenges, there are going to be difficulties, but you have to be united. You have to be connected to each other. You've got to have each other's backs. We talked about the fact that Paul says in verse 5 and 6 that, that there is one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. There is one. And Paul said, you know, we are one. But what's interesting to me is when we come to verse 7, he's still talking about the fact that we are one. He's still talking about the fact that we are united. He's still calling us to make every effort to live in unity. But he says, but. <laughs> he puts a but there, and he says, but you've got to understand something. Even though we're all united, even though we all share the same story, that we were dead in our sins and we're alive in Christ, even though we're all one, we're all different. <laughs> we're not all the same. We're not all the same. And, and, and earlier, Paul had already said this. In chapter 2, he talked about different ethnic backgrounds. So there's Jewish people, there's Gentile people, there's Greeks, there's Romans, there's other kinds of different. And, and, and he said, in Christ, we overcome those barriers. Those ethnic barriers, those racial lines that can divide us. Paul says, in Christ, we are united. We are one. Those uh, economic lines, we are united. We are one. But here he wants to say there's another kind of difference between us and among us. And it's okay because we're still one in it. And, and what he says is this, that we have different gifts and responsibilities. We have different abilities. We don't all do the same things. We are united, but we're not uniform. And, 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 and this is such a cool thing. I think this is one of the most things I get most excited about, about teaching and about learning. And as I look at 25 years of being a pastor, I think this has been so much fun for me to see this kind of thing happening. Let's, let's go to the text, all right? Ephesians 4, verse 7. Paul says, again, it was one voice, one heart, one, one faith, one baptism. But 
To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Two things to notice here. First of all, the word each, right? He's been talking about all of us being united, but now he's going to say, but each of us, we're still individuals. We're, we're still individuals, and he says, each one of you has this, okay? This isn't something that just some of you have, that, that we're all united, but some of us have been given spiritual gifts by God. We're all united, but some, no, he says, each one of us has been given grace. Each one of us has been given spiritual gifts. Now, that leads to the other word I want to talk about in this verse, and that is grace. Because so often, and Paul has already done that. We sang it, right? Amazing grace. And most of the time when Paul is talking about grace, he's talking about what we might call saving grace that forgives all of our sins and, and, and that we're dead and we're saved by grace and so on. But Paul also used this word to talk about the grace that God gives us of serving. And, and, and so I think that's what's going on here. Let me just, real quick, um, the, the word in the Greek is, is charis, charis, or, or charis. Um, you get like charity, right? That means grace. That comes out of that. Carissa comes out of that. The name Carissa comes out of it. That's grace. And that's what word Paul has used. And he uses that here. And so grace is the right translation. But when he talks about spiritual gifts, he uses the word charismata, charismatics, and so on. You might recognize that term. But that's when he's talking about spiritual gifts. Here he uses charis. But I think he really is just using it as shorthand for charismata, all right, for spiritual gifts. Because the rest of it makes clear that what Paul is talking about is saying to each one of you, spiritual gifts have been given. So when it's grace, it's not like Paul is saying, well, you got a certain amount of grace and I got a different amount of grace. I, I was thinking about that and I thought, it, it, you know, if that were the case, then it would be like, well, I, I was a bad sinner and I needed two cups of grace, but you needed three gallons because you were worse. And so God needed to give, no, it's not that. It's God doesn't give us different amounts of grace. God gives us different gifts in his grace. We all needed all the grace. We were dead in our sins. We were alive in Christ. And now Paul says, but you know what? Each of you has a different part. And, 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 and so the theme of this morning, what we're going to be talking about this morning, is that we've all been given spiritual gifts. And, and like I said, this is for me, let me just kind of tell you, for, for me, one of the funnest things to watch I'll give you an example. This is from years and years ago. Um, but we had somebody in the congregation here, and I'll, I won't use names, but um, she's passed away, actually. But, but she had a real heart for some kids who lived downtown. Um, she had real gifts, spiritual gifts of mercy and compassion and love and service. And so she had some connections with some kids downtown, started to go downtown and drive them back to Hillside. There were a couple of them, and she started driving. Well, they had friends, so then she had three or four, and then it was five or six. So then she was borrowing somebody's van. Then we had like 10 or 12 kids coming, and we would have every Sunday morning a couple of vans driving down to to help these kids pick them up, bring them out here for Sunday school and for church and so on, and and then to bring them back. And, And here's where spiritual gifts, this is what's so much fun for me to watch, because this person, as much as she was compassionate and loving, did not have the gift of administration. She did not have that gift. And during that time, I swear, every week, either George, who was the pastor at the time with me, George or I would get a call. Do you know if I'm supposed to drive? Am I supposed, I haven't heard anything. Well, you don't have a schedule yet. What's going on today? And so what happened is we found somebody with a spiritual gift of administration, and we put that person with a spiritual gift of kindness and mercy and love and so on. And, and, And guess what? We never got called again. Now, I'm not saying my goal in life is to never have you call me, but I am saying it's really nice, and it was just so much fun to watch that because they both blossomed. The person who was doing it, the administration, was like, this is nothing. It's easy, and, and it was, but it was her gift. It's what she did, and, and, and so she was doing something that was great. The person who was now not in charge of that was able to just love kids, and, and, and I have seen that happen hundreds of times. 
with, with those of you who are here who have different gifts. And, and it is just so much fun for me. And it's kind of like watching somebody who has the gift of building houses or whatever. I am amazed by that. Whenever I'm with a builder, I am just, it's like, I, I, I'm trying to figure out, you've got to measure this, you've got to do that. And they're like, eh, no, do the boom, and it's done. And I'm like, that's just amazing. And, and in the church, that's what God designed it to be. That we all have different spiritual gifts. We all have different spiritual abilities. And we all use them together to grow the body and to bring Christ into this world. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about. And Paul tells us three things about spiritual gifts this morning, all right? Three things that we need to know about this. First one is one that I really hadn't thought about really before I had to study this passage. But, but what, what Paul says to us first is this, that, that Jesus won these gifts for us. Jesus won these gifts for us when he conquered sin and death. Okay, let me show you this in the text, and I'll, I'll explain it. But to each one, back to verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given. Those spiritual gifts has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then these words, this is why it says, and he quotes the Old Testament here, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. I think it's not exactly clear. It's most probably a quote from Psalm 68, verse 18, all right? It's similar to that, but with a little bit of a nuance, a little bit of a change. And let me try to explain what I think is happening here. And if we understand this, I think it's really powerful. What, what the psalmist is talking about and what Paul is talking about is something that would happen in their world, all right? So it would happen in Rome. It would happen a thousand years earlier when the psalmist wrote this psalm. But let's say that a general in the army goes out and he conquers another territory. Let's say that we'll do it with Paul. You know, Caesar is in Rome. And one of his generals decides to go out and, and conquer a territory. And Caesar says, I go out to Spain. We need some more Spanish cities. Go out to Spain. So he heads out to the west. He goes, he conquers this city. He defeats it with the army. And you know what he does next? Is he gets some captives. He takes some of the people, but he also plunders. Right? He goes through their storehouses. He goes through their treasuries. And he gets the most beautiful stuff. He gets their best gifts. He gets their best gold. He gets all their best stuff. And he brings it back with him to Rome. And when he would arrive in Rome, this is a picture of what it would probably look like, and, and the general would be there riding the chariot. When he would arrive back in Rome, or whatever was the capital city, they would come back and he would have the armies around him, and then behind that, in the middle of that group, there would be the captives, and then they'd also have these treasures that they had plundered, okay? They had these treasures that they had plundered. He'd go to the emperor, go to Caesar, and he would say, you now have this territory, and he would give him a gift, but then he would also, to his generals, to his sergeants, to others around him, he'd start to just give them gifts. And he'd even throw them to the people in the crowd, right? And so there would just be these gifts flowing out. There would be this wonderful celebration. I didn't want to do that yet, sorry. Uh, there would just be this wonderful celebration of, of, of all these gifts that are given, right? They would be plundered, and then they're given back. And that's the image, okay? That's the image that, that Paul is using here when he says, when he, that is Christ, when Jesus ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So what, what Paul is saying here is, okay, you got Jesus, right? He's part of the Trinity we call the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is part of the Trinity, and he comes to earth. He's born, right, of Mary. He's born, and he lives his life, and then he dies on the cross, he descends into death, right? He goes all the way down there. But then he's raised from the dead, and he wins the victory. And he rises from the dead on Easter Sunday. And then 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. And, and, and what Paul is saying here is that when Jesus ascended into heaven, it's like that triumphal procession. It's like that general who's coming back. And, and he comes and he brings captives, but he also brings gifts. 
And, and, and what Jesus does when he, when he goes up into heaven on Ascension Day, when he does that, he gives these gifts. And I think what happens is he gives the gifts to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit starts throwing them around to us. The Holy Spirit starts giving those gifts to us. And, and that, for me, is just such a cool, powerful picture. Because if we, if we think about it here, let's go back even further. The biblical story is that God created us to live in relationship with him, right? We rebelled against him and Adam and Eve. We said, we don't want to be with you. We want to be on our own. And, and what the Bible says is by doing that, we became, as it were, property of Satan. That's why we need to be ransomed, right? That's why we needed to be bought. That's why Jesus needed to die, to pay the price. But, but I think that Paul would tell us, not only did we as human beings put ourselves in, and put ourselves in that position of, of being slaves to sin and slaves to death and slaves, you know, that we were the possession, as it were, of Satan. It, it, not only that, but also certain gifts, certain abilities, certain treasures. And in a sense that Satan had those things. And, and so to picture this, imagine this, when Jesus dies on the cross, goes through death, and then he rises again. As he's rising, you know what he does? He goes to Satan's storehouses and he plunders. He goes into Satan's storehouse and he plunders and he's grabbing these things. And I think we can even push this so far to kind of say, you know, as he's grabbing those gifts, he's saying, I'm going to give this one to Ron. I'm going to give this one to Susie. I'm going to give this one to Bill. I'm going to give this one to Bob. I'm going to give this one to Jenny. I'm going to give this one to whoever it is. And, and I just imagine Jesus in the, in, in the storehouse of these gifts and these abilities of, of, of the enemy, of Satan. And he's just grabbing all of these things. And he's putting them. And he goes into heaven and he says to this Holy Spirit, now use these. And, and he gives those to, to each one of us. And like 2,000 years ago, again, I, I, I'm pushing it a little bit, but I think it's okay. 2,000 years ago, Jesus had you in mind and a gift that he would give to you. And, and, and when he went and he took those captives, when he went and he took those gifts, he was saying, this person's going to need this one. And for me, that just is so cool to think that now we are, we are trying to bring in the kingdom of God. We are fighting God's battles with, with tools, with gifts, with strengths, with things from the storehouse of the enemy that Jesus has won for us. And that as he was ascending into heaven, he gave those gifts. Now, if you're like me, you wonder, well, who are the captives? It, it could be us, that we who were captives there are now captives of Christ. It could be Old Testament saints. The fact is we don't know, so I don't want to talk about it. All right, so it took many captives. So if you're interested in that, talk to me afterwards, all right? But, but we're really, it's about, it's, it's God gave gifts to his people. That Jesus Christ, when he went up, he ascended and he took captives, whoever they are. But he also just, again, you picture that, that, that general coming back and just throwing these gifts. And, and you and I are standing there and God gives us that gift. And each and every one of us has gifts like that. And God uses us to build his body and to bring in his kingdom. So Jesus won them for us when he conquered uh, sin and death. The next two verses are a, a kind of Paul, and I like this about Paul because I do this all the time, and, and that's like, again, he says, oh, by the way, and he throws something out there. So again, real quick, quick on this. I want to touch on them and mention them because it's kind of different and, and strange because he says, well, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavenlies or than, than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It's kind of strange, okay? That's why it's in parentheses. It doesn't quite fit with Paul's argument. Next verse is going to go on with his argument. Why does Paul say this? I think it's because there was a, a start of a dangerous teaching 
that was happening in the church in Ephesus. We're going to see it about 30 or 40 years later, even stronger. But this teaching was called Gnosticism. I'll do this real quick. Gnosticism, and what that teaching basically said was, you know, our bodies are bad. Our bodies are unimportant. Jesus never really became fully human because being fully human is bad. We need to just be spiritual. We need to just, and, and we as Christians can sometimes fall into that. We can still be kind of Gnostic where we say, oh, no, our bodies are bad. Oh, no, our, all this is bad. I just need to be spiritual and, and, and heavenly-minded and so on. And, and, and that's what's starting to take place at Ephesus. And so when Paul says, you know what, Jesus, when he ascended, he said, oh, by the way, just a minute, let me remind you of something. If he ascended, he also descended. He became human. The Jesus who gives us these gifts descended and all, went all the way down into, into death itself. He was fully human. And I think that's why he kind of says, okay, enough on that point. Let me go back to my other one, okay? Let me go back to my other one. So Jesus won them for them, uh, you know, won these gifts for us. And then the second thing, and many of you would already know this, but let's think about it for a minute. There are a variety of gifts, all right? There are a variety of gifts. So Christ himself, Christ himself gave, in the older translations, it's some to be. Um, but those words aren't in the Greek. But so Christ himself gave some to be apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Paul says, you know, Jesus Christ said, I'm going to give this person this gift. I'm going to give this person this gift. There are a variety of gifts. Now, one of the things we need to recognize is that this is not the only list in the New Testament. Because some of you are going, yeah, that's good. I'm a teacher or whatever. That fits me. That's who I am. But some of you are going, I am not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a pastor or teacher. I'm, I, I, I'm not an evangelist. I, I don't, I, 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 it's not the only list, friends, okay? In fact, there are at least five lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament and up to about 20 different gifts listed. And I'm going to show you this if you can read this. Thank the Lord you have good eyes. Um, I know it's small, but I, mo- mostly just to, to kind of recognize that, that these are all spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. And I don't think this list itself is exhaustive. I think there are other gifts that Jesus stole from Satan's, Satan's storehouses. Uh, but you see, Romans 12, 6 to 8, we have prophecy, so that one's repeated. But serving teaching, a repeat again of, of what Ephesians says, exhortation, encouragement, the gift of giving, um, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy. Um, and, and, and we can go on through 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Ephesians 4, 11, and then again, 1 Peter 4, 11. I, I'm not going to go through all of those, but I just wanted us to recognize that, that somewhere in there or somewhere in another place, but God has given you a gift each and every one of us has those gifts, has some gift, all right? Each and every one of us has some responsibility to use that gift, all right? So there are more than 20, there are a whole bunch of different ones. And in other places, Paul goes out of his way to make very clear to say, you know, y'all might think this is the important gift, or that's the important gift, but Paul says they're all absolutely necessary. Try cutting off your foot and walking around, Paul says it doesn't work very well. We need every part of the body. So every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. But then if we look specifically at this one in Ephesians, okay, there are a variety. But in Ephesians 4, I think that these lists, these four or five, depending on how you count them, these four or five, this list focuses on leading, shaping, or talking gifts, okay? Let me explain what I mean by that. Let's go through it a little more slowly, but we'll keep, keep moving here. So Christ himself gave some to be apostles, all right? The apostles. What's an apostle? It's somebody who has the gift of, of being sent on a mission to bring a message. 
Now, in one sense, one way that the New Testament defines apostle, it, it includes having seen Jesus alive before he ascended into heaven. Well, that, nobody's alive who's done that. So in that sense, those are done. But I do think there's another place where Jesus sends out 72 people, and they're called apostles. And so some people have the gift of, 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 of being willing and able to go to a different culture, to go to a different place, maybe downtown, maybe across the country, across the world or whatever. But that's a gift, now, as parents, most of us pray our kids don't have that gift because we want them to stay close to home, right? But, but that's a, it's a spiritual gift to be able to say, you know what, God is, is just calling me to, to be an apostle, to bring a message, to bring the good news. Paul was an apostle. He had that spiritual gift, all right? So sent on a mission to bring a message. Some people have that gift. Some people have the gift of, of prophecy, which is speaking God's word. It's speaking God's word. Again, some communities, Christians who are Christians, you know, will say, well, that means just listening and hearing a word from the Lord and just speaking that. I tend to say God speaks first through this word. <laughs> and the prophet is one who can bring this word to life, sometimes in a confrontational manner. But some people have the gift of prophecy. Some are evangelists, right? And, and, and they're sharing the good news. Think about it. For some of you, when you find yourself in a situation, imagine just you're in this situation and your neighbor comes up to you, you're in the backyard and your neighbor said, I know you go to church, can you tell me about Jesus? If your heart just went, yes, you have the gift of evangelism. If your heart just went, uh, can you call Ron? Can you talk to Daniel? Then you probably don't have this gift. Now all of us ought to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. But there are some folks who they just strive on this. Daniel has the gift of evangelism. He is just passionate about that, and I'm so thankful for that. And, and then the last one is pastors and teachers, and these could be separate, but I think it's actually one, and it's leading a local congregation, all right? And, and, and so one of the things that's interesting as we look at this, this list, is, like I say, they all tend to focus on kind of speaking, on leading, on shaping others, okay? And, and you'll see why I think Paul does that in just a minute, all right? But I want us to kind of recognize that this list focuses on leading, shaping, kind of talking gifts, all right? So, got to keep moving here. So Jesus won these things for us when he conquered sin and death. Again, he, he plundered Satan's storehouse, and he brings them, and the Holy Spirit gives them. There's a variety of gifts, but what are they used for? What's the purpose of these gifts, all right? What is the purpose? Two things. The first one is this, all right? And, and this is why I think it's specifically related to this list, but it's to equip people to serve others, okay? Sometimes God gives gifts to people, and I think it's in this list that, 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 that a lot of these gifts are used to help others to serve, to help others, to equip others, to train others. Again, let's go back to the text. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the t pastors and teachers. Why? Look at this. To equip. To equip his people for works of service. That's, that's, I think, part of my calling, a big part of my calling. I think that God has given me gifts of pastoring, of teaching, and so on. And, 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 and what this means, what this means, I think, is, is that, not that I don't do service, but that my primary job is to equip you to serve. My primary job is to equip you to do ministry in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your workplaces. My job is to equip you, is to, is to encourage you, is to train you, is to guide you, is to teach you who you are, to help you find your place, to do all of that. That's, that's part of my calling. And again, it's not to say that I don't do acts of ministry. It's not that I, but in some ways, and in some ways I don't like this. In some ways, I'd rather just kind of be dealing one-on-one -on -one with everybody, and I'd rather just kind of, but I think God has called me to say, no, I train you so that you can go have the fun. 
in some way so that you get to get out there and do this. You get to go out there and do this ministry. And, 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 and that's good. And, and that's important. And I, and I love doing this. And in fact, it, it's not just me. And, and I, I think one of the things, and we say this to our staff members, and, and so I want to say it to all of you, that, that one of the jobs of, of many of our staff members is to equip you to serve. It, it, we don't hire staff people to do ministry as much as we hire staff people to equip others to do ministry. So when we have a Don and, and, and a Kristen with children's ministries, um, when we have Kirk in middle school, when we have Eric in high school, when we have adult ministries people and so on, it's, it's not Don and Kristen's job to do all the children's ministry. It's their job to equip you to, okay? It's our job together. It, it's not Kirk's job to do middle school ministry by himself. It's his job to equip you to. It's not Eric's job to do high school ministry. It's his job to equip others to do that. And, 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 and so I think the danger is, is, is that we live in a culture where there are a lot of things we just say, well, we'll just pay somebody else to do that. And I think there's always a temptation in churches to say, well, we'll just pay somebody else to do that. In fact, for a long time, for about 1,500 years, uh, well, for about 1,000 years, but starting about 1,500 years ago, the importance of English right here, okay? So listen to your English teachers. This was translated in, in a different way. One comma makes a big difference because what, what this was done is it was, you know, so Christ himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people, comma, okay? Let's see how this changes it. In, in the Greek, this is possible. To equip his people, comma, and to do works of service, Okay, and so what was taught by a lot of pastors and teachers is our job is to equip you, and by that mean make you better, but it's also our job to do the ministry. We don't trust you. And, 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 and for a long time, if you look at the King James translation, it has a comma there. And, and it kind of, if you have just that translation, I don't think it's the right one on this one, but if you have that translation, it says, you know, to equip the people and to do acts of ministry. And so the idea is that's what the works of service, acts of ministry are what apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers do, and the rest of you just pay us to do it. That's not what Paul means. That's not what Paul means. What Paul means is that one of the jobs of many of us here is to equip you. Now, let me make something very clear as well. It's not just staff who does that. It's not just staff who does that. You do that. You equip others. You equip me. One of the things that's been really helpful for me in the last couple of years is some of the guys around here and and women around here who have real leadership gifts have come alongside me to help teach me, to try to help me learn how to be a better leader, to try to help me learn how to grow in some of these things. And so it's not just that we teach you and we equip you. It's that we all equip each other. We all I- encourage each other. We, we, we do that. Anybody who's got these gifts of, of teaching, of, of pastoring, of leading, of guiding, of, th- th- then we help, and we need to do this for each other, all right? So that's the first one, right? To equip God's people for works of service, all right? That, that purpose of the gifts, first, to equip his people, uh, people to serve others, and then second, and, and we're going to end with this one. But So God gave us these gifts. Part of it is to equip others, But the ultimate reason is so that we may all grow in Christ together, all right? So that we may all grow in Christ together. Again, back to the text. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. And then look at this. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. So that the body of Christ may be built up. You have a spiritual gift. I have a spiritual gift. And God gave it to us so that we can all grow. 
and we can all grow together so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Why do we have these gifts? So that we can serve others and so that we can help each other grow. So that we can serve others and and so that we can help each other grow. And this says something really important because we don't grow on our own or for our own sake, okay? The fact of the matter is, I, I talk to people sometimes who are like, I really don't need the church because I can grow on my own. The fact is you cannot grow on your own. You don't have enough of the gifts. We're part of the same body. I don't have enough gifts. I need you. You need me. We're a happy... F- no, sorry. Um, but I mean, we don't grow on our own, right? We need each other, and I need you. And, 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 and so it becomes this really important thing. I, I don't know if any of you were I was listening to the radio yesterday and... Nick Saban, I know some of you recognize the name, some of you don't, but he's a football coach down at Alabama. He was at Michigan State for a while, and apparently somebody must be or must have written a book about him, and he wasn't happy about it. And he said, you know, this unauthorized biography stuff, he said, that's not, that's not a good deal. When I get done coaching, I'll write a book about me, then you'll know who I am. And I wanted to say, there's no way. You cannot write a book about yourself and tell me who you are because none of us can see ourselves completely honestly, Right? He's going to write a book, and guess who's going to look really good? <laughs> I mean, he's going to, and, and that's fine. But, but part of what the Bible teaches us is that we are so self-deceptive that I need you to speak the truth to me. I need you to tell, I cannot grow and become what God needs me to become if you won't tell me who I need to be and where I'm wrong and what I need to learn. I, I mean, I, I can't do it on my own. Nick Saban can't write a true book about himself on his own. He needs somebody who's on the outside of saying, Nick, that really wasn't what happened. You and I both know. You know, you're, you're, you're just wrong about that, and you should own up to it. And, and the fact is, that's how it works in the body of Christ. That's how we serve each other. We have different gifts so you can see things that I, and, and, and we need to do that for each other. Because without others to help us, we are so, but we're in trouble. Look at what Paul says uh, in verse 14. I love this image. Then he says, we will no longer be infants. As we grow up, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So what Paul says is, when we first become Christians, he says, and and, and there's something wonderful about it. There's joy and there's life and there's all this stuff, but, but, but we're susceptible to teachings that we say, oh, that sounds cool, that sounds great. And, and he uses it by age. Think about it, right? When, when I think about young people, and, and now I have to think about them, not with them, but the strengths of youth, right? I mean, there's joy, there's strength, there's passion. When I, when I see high school students, when I see middle school students, college students, you know, people in their 20s, it's like, yeah, we can change the world, and I love that, okay? I love that passion. But I also sometimes see and say, hold on, time out. You need some wisdom, the strength of youth is joy and strength and passion, but the need of youth, the, the, the struggle of youth, is, is, it's lack of wisdom. And you've seen it, right? High school student, college student, whatever, it's like, oh, this is the answer. I, I sometimes get frustrated with all the books that get written and gobbled up and the latest on the Christian bestseller list, like, this is what we all need to do. Here's a new idea nobody ever thought about. Friends, there aren't new ideas. <laughs> We need to discover the old, and, 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 and so, you know, we all go, oh, we all go running over here and say, oh, this is great, this is right, or we all go run over and say, this is what we've got to do. Paul's saying, you know what, you're getting tossed back and forth. You need, you know, we don't necessarily like anchors, but the Bible does. <laughs> the Bible talks about anchors being good things, that there are some things we need to anchor ourselves to. 
And, and, and so as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, we need both of these things. And I thought of an old Dutch proverb. Some of you will recognize it, but I remember hearing it over and over again growing up. Yeah, we go too, old, too, too soon old and too late smart. That's what happens, yeah? Right, I mean, I, I mean it, yeah, we, we get old and we lose passion. And, and we get old, but we get smarter. And wouldn't it be great to be young and smart? And, and, and I think that's what, that's what we as a body can do. When we are committed and unified and, and serving each other, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. And so sometimes I need a young person to say, Ron, come on, man. Dude, you got to get some life. And, and sometimes I need an older person to say, Ron, let me tell you something. That's not a good idea. And, 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 and that's the body of Christ. In fact, that's what Paul says in the next verse. Instead, speaking the truth in love. One of the most beautiful phrases in Scripture, one of the most difficult phrases in Scripture, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. How do we grow? When you use your gifts, when I use my gifts, and when we speak the truth in love to each other. And sometimes you've got to speak the truth to me. It's, again, for many of us, we would much rather have calm waters. But you need to speak the truth to me, to each other. In love. In love. It's a lot easier to have one or the other. I've said this throughout this series, that it's easier to have, it's easier to say, well, I'm going to speak the truth and not have love. Or to have love but not speak the truth. Paul calls us to, and, and that's why last week what we talked about, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, all those things. When we speak the truth, we do it with humility. In In, in love. Some of you I, 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 you, I know you love me, and so you can just kind of say, Ron, you, you messed that up. And, and I don't feel bad about it at all, because I know you love me. And, 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 and so we've got to establish that kind of love and that kind of speaking, all right? And so I, I just think for a, us as a body, and, and, and again, it's, it's, it's not just about growing in numbers. What I want to see is what happens as we grow deeper and deeper in Christ, as we grow more and more mature in Christ, can we learn to speak the truth in love to each other? Can we create a body of Christ here at Hillside that we learn and, and we love each other so deeply that when we speak the truth to each other, we know it's the best word possible for us? Can we become that? I tell you, most of us say, no, Ron, you're, it's a pipe dream. No, it's a Christian dream, and it's what God calls us to. And then we all grow together, and this is the last verse, from him, from him, Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, that picture of every part of the body. You bring something that the rest of us need. You have a gift that your body, your congregation, that your family needs. And if we don't do it, we don't grow. If we don't use those gifts, we don't grow. So Christ, I, I, that picture of him storming the Satan, the, the satanic storehouses, grabbing these gifts that were good gifts that his father created and then giving them to us so that together we can grow and become all that God created us to grow. As we close, uh, all of us to, uh, to created us to become. As we close forwards, if I, if I can sum this up, and on the one hand it's like, yeah, right. But the fact is these are forwards that there is a part in each of every one of us I think that hates. But the truth of this scripture is this. We need each other. I don't like to think that. I like to think that I'm smarter than most of you. And I don't need you. But Paul reminds me again this morning that I am a little part of a body. And if I try to go on my own, 
I'm just not going to get anywhere. I need you, and you need me. And together we will grow in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I don't like to depend on anybody else. I don't like to think I need anybody else. Yet you remind me this morning that we do. And so teach us how to love each other. We, we, we teach us that first. Teach us how to be unified. Teach us how to be committed to each other, even when we disagree. And then within that, Lord, teach us how to speak the truth. Teach us how to use our gifts. Teach us how to equip each other. Teach us how to help each other grow. Because, Father, we want to see what happens in this community as Jesus Christ gets bigger and bigger in us and through us here at Hillside. So give us courage and love and lots of both. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, if you want to talk with somebody from Hillside, the prayer room will be open after the service. Will you please stand to receive God's parting benediction? People of God, as we go from this place, know we know that, may we know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us, and may we indeed use the gifts that God has so graciously given to us. Go in God's grace. Amen.